1960, Wang Ming Dao was sentenced to solitary confinement for his faith. He was an evangelist, but also a critic of the Chinese state-run church. 20 years in solitary confinement. When he was released, his faith was as strong as ever. In fact, his endurance became an inspiration to the house church, the underground church, and a frustration to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, reflecting on his time in prison, he said this, When I was put in jail, I was devastated. I was an evangelist, and I wanted to hold crusades all over China. I wanted to write books. I was a preacher, and I wanted to preach. But in jail, I had no Bible, no pulpit, no audience, not even pen and paper. I couldn't even witness to my jailers because they pushed my food through a flap. I could do nothing except get to know God. For the next 20 years, that became the sweetest relationship I've ever known. This morning, as we pick up on Joseph's story, find that he's also in prison and he's also been there a long time. We're not sure how long he's been in that prison, but we're told it's 13 years since he was sold into slavery as a 17-year-old until he's released from prison. 13 years a slave and then a prisoner. But like Wang Lingdao, he had a great faith in God. And just like Wang Lingdao reflected and said about his time in prison, Joseph, years later, also reflected on his time in prison and to his brothers, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. See, Joseph emerged from prison with a faith stronger than when he went in. And this morning, we're going to explore how this happened. We're going to track God's hand on Joseph. We're going to look at some uh, take-homes, some implication for us, and then we're going to see how his time in prison points to Christ. Now, the last time we looked at Joseph, Potiphar's wife had falsely accused him of sexual advances, chapter 39. Now, these lies, these accusations were the equivalent of a death sentence for Joseph. That was the law of the land for a slave who made sexual advances in this way. So when we pick up the story in chapter 39, verse 20, hanging or impalement or beheading is the fate that Joseph is looking at. Let's have a look at chapter 39, verse 20, or verse 19. When his master heard the story that his wife had told him, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he was imprisoned and not hung. It's kind of good news, really, as far as it goes. It's not great news. But imprisoned and abandoned. Well, no, not abandoned, because God's hand was still with Joseph. Verse 20, chapter 39. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. 
So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now where have we heard this before? What pattern is God repeating in Joseph's life? Well, four times in chapter 39 we're told the Lord was with Joseph, twice in Potiphar's house and now here in prison. And because God was with Joseph, Joseph was successful. He found favour first with Potiphar, and now he's finding favour with the prison warder. Joseph might not know why, but while a slave and now as a prisoner, God's hand is on him. And this brings us to our first take-home, our first implication for today. Like Joseph, in fact, in a greater way than Joseph, God is with us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. So God is with us just as he was with Joseph, but even more so. So no matter how grim, no matter how dark, no matter how desperate your situation, as we look to Christ, as we cling to him, God is with us. And out of the number of wonderful promises we have, it's Hebrews 13 that I'd like to have a look at. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Isn't there this lovely dynamic we've got going here? God says, and then we say. God promises, and then we respond. Never will I leave you, says God. The Lord is my helper, say you and I. While in prison, both Wang Ming Dao and Joseph were able to say exactly the same. Wang Ming Dao said, because God has promised to be with me, I can say, for 20 years in solitary confinement, I can say the Lord is my helper. And Joseph said the same, and so can we. A number of us might be in a difficult place today. If we're not, we will be one day. It probably won't be a literal prison, though it could be. But the circumstances are tough and we feel caught and pinned down and trapped. Maybe it's to do with health. Maybe our prison is financial reversal. Maybe there's a significant relationship that we feel is just crumbling away. God's word for you this morning is, I am with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And because we have this promise, and because many of us have experienced this in the past, we can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. This then is the first take-home we have from Joseph's story, and we see him living it out. Anyway, Joseph's in prison. Let's pick up the story in chapter 40, verse 1. Some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with the two officials and they end up getting thrown in prison. Some time later, I wonder how many months or years that is since Joseph was first put in prison. Anyway, these two officials are under his care. Verse 4, after they had been in custody for some time, 
each of the two men had a dream. Notice that phrase again? After some time. Again, could be years, could be two, three, four years since they were in prison. Anyway, one morning Joseph comes and sees the, his two people under his care. They look dejected and sad and depressed. And so in verse 7 he says, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not the interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the cupbearer kicks off and he tells of a dream where he's by a grapevine and there are three branches with ripe grapes and he has in his hand a cup and this cup is the Pharaoh's cup. So he goes to the clusters and he squeezes the clusters and the cup fills. And then he passes the cup to Pharaoh. And so Joseph says, this is what it means. God has given them the interpretation. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness, and mention me to the Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now, of course, Chief Baker's been listening and is probably getting a little bit excited about this and is hoping, well, goodness me, if it's good news for his dream, it's got to be wonderful news for my dream, surely. So he tells of his dream. He's got three baskets on his head and the top basket is open and is full of baked delicacies. And of course, he's a baker. But unfortunately, there's some birds pecking away. And so he says, well, Joseph, what does this mean? This is what it means. Verse 18, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat away at your flesh. Goodness me, isn't that grim? Isn't that awful? Hung and left for the birds. This is no one's idea of a good outcome. So, what happens? Did Joseph get it right? What was their fate? Well, we find out that three days later, it just happens to be Pharaoh's birthday. And he's throwing this big party. So you can imagine a room bigger than this, full of luxurious food and servants and music. And he decides he will call up the cupbearer and the baker. And he calls them up. Maybe there's a stage and he has them on the stage. And so for the cupbearer, he reinstates him. Probably brings some clothes out for him and, and, and there and then he's serving the pharaoh. But for the baker, off with his head and nailed up onto a post. Not my idea of party entertainment, but that's what's happened. And news travels quickly within the palace and the citadel and the prison. And we can be sure that that night Joseph had heard what had happened. Mixed emotions. On the one hand, he's pleased that the dreams came true. I'm sure, though, he was very sad for the baker. But going to bed that night, we can imagine him thanking God for using him and saying, Lord, Lord, you know, thank you that I was able to interpret the dreams And your hand is upon me, and I'm so looking forward to getting out of prison, Lord. Your hand is with me. Surely tomorrow or the next day, Pharaoh will hear, and I will be released. And then we read the final verse in chapter 40. The cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. In prison and forgotten. How many of us have felt that way? 
and our own difficulties, forgotten and in prison, hopes raised and then dashed. And so this is not looking at all good for Joseph. Now, before we see how this plays out for Joseph, that brings us to our second sort of implication, our second take home for today. The first is that no matter what our difficulty is, our tough times, God will never leave us. And we can say, God is my helper, I will not fear. The second implication, what we learn from here, is that even when we are struggling, God can use us. Even when we're in that dark place. And Joseph was in prison, and for years God used him to bless the water, and no doubt other people under his care. And God used him. Joseph spoke God's word, and the cupbearer and the baker's lives were changed. And it's the same with us. Even when we're struggling, God can use us in a wonderful way. And you say, how? How can I do that when I'm struggling with finances or my health's just a mess or you know, my family's falling to bits or whatever? And the reason is Ephesians 2, chapter 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. And God will often use the difficult times to shape and mould us to be more like Christ. You see, Joseph in prison is God's workmanship. Joseph is like wood under a carver, a master carver's hand. And that master carver is God, and he's slowly working Joseph into something most wonderful, most beautiful, a work of art that will bring great delight to the carver. God is preparing Joseph to do mighty works of good. And it's the same with us too. We may be struggling with a major financial setback, even to the stage where we fear we may lose our house. Then a colleague at work opens up, and we find that we share Jesus with them. And God makes a difference. Or we may be struggling with the power of depression in our lives, but we also have someone who's unwell. So we visit them in hospital, and we pray with them. And God makes a difference. He uses us to bless other people. And so God's word for us today is, don't let your present difficulties stop you from knowing the joy of blessing other people. Don't let your prison, whatever it may be, be an excuse. God takes particular pleasure in using the weakest amongst us to bless others. I mean, that's just the way God is, isn't it? You know, he, he loves to use the weakest amongst us to bless others. He takes great delight. He specialises in this. He takes great delight in having those that are struggling be a blessing to other people. And so our challenge is to give it a go. God will meet you in a really special way when you step out amongst your difficulties to bless someone else. So this is the second take home today. God will never leave us in our prisons and even in our prisons we can bless other people. So how does Joseph get on? What's God got in store for him? Surely there's good news. Surely Joseph will be rewarded for his integrity and honesty and get out of jail within a short period of time. 
chapter 41, very first verse, when two full years had passed. Goodness me. We're told that he was 17 when he was sold into slavery. We're told that he's 30 when he leaves prison. So he must have been 28 years old when he had the two, heard the two dreams and interpreted And he's 30 as he's about to be released from prison. Many of us know the story. We know that the Pharaoh has two dreams and these are interpreted and then amazing things happen for Joseph. But that's in the next chapter and in the next message. So now we've considered Joseph in prison. How does all this point to Christ? Given that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus, given that every story whispers his name, how does this incident, the story of Joseph in prison, foreshadow Christ? Well, in many respects, the baker and the cupbearer represent humanity. Just as the cupbearer and the baker offended the king and deserved judgment, so all humanity has offended the great king, the living God, the true and the better king, our maker and creator. And because of this offence, our rebellion, we are all under God's judgment, deservedly so. Uh, Listen to Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9. Jews and Gentiles are alike under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. However... Despite deserving punishment, the king offers a free pardon. I mean, the cupbearer was guilty. Did he do anything to deserve the pharaoh's forgiveness? No. He didn't work hard. He didn't do anything special, heroic. He didn't earn his pardon. But the pharaoh forgave the cupbearer. Not only forgave, but restored. And we have a heavenly father that is like that as well. He longs to pardon and forgive. And we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, but he does. We can take this even closer to Christ because not only does the cupbearer and the chief baker represent humanity, but we also see their story reflected in the two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus. The two criminals, we remember that. One on his left, one on his right. Both were guilty under the Roman law. Yes, in the eyes of the Roman king Caesar, both deserved death, neither deserved to be pardoned. But one criminal trusted Jesus, the true and the better king, and he was forgiven and restored. Do you know everybody on Calvary abandoned Jesus? His best friends abandoned him, his disciples abandoned him, the people he came to save, the Jews abandoned him, all except one, the criminal, who looked to him with eyes of faith. And in many respects, that criminal is like the cupbearer, who was completely forgiven in an undeserved sort of way, whereas the other criminal turned away. He rejected and he mocked Jesus with the crowd And so he remained condemned. Let's see how this pans out in uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. See, that criminal knew he didn't deserve a pardon. He didn't deserve a pardon. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus' only friend on Calvary. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you have come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to answer him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And this is the choice lying before each one of us today. Like the cupbearer, the baker and the two criminals, we stand guilty before the great king of kings. Not one of us deserves to be pardoned. But, and this is the good news of the gospel, when we look to Christ, when we trust him, everything changes. The chains fall off and we're set free. Our burden rolls away and we are forgiven. Our slate is wiped clean, just like the criminal who looked to Jesus. And not only is the slate wiped clean, but we are welcomed into paradise. We're invited to walk with Jesus in the garden. If we remember way back to Genesis chapter 2, what did Adam and God do in the cool of the evening? They walked side by side. And had that wonderful fellowship. This was before the fall. Jesus is inviting us back into that relationship. But not only back into that relationship, more wonderful than that relationship. That whole paradise is, is conjuring up ideas of the Garden of Eden before the fall. And that's the invitation that's offered to all who look to Jesus. But to all those who mock Jesus, to all those who reject Jesus, to all those who simply ignore Jesus... There is no pardon. Judgment still stands. A judgment that will see us hanged with our flesh eaten by birds. That is a grim but accurate description of hell as you will ever get. That's the choice before us. And so let's pull all this together. Joseph is thrown into jail but was not abandoned by the one who really counts. Though forgotten by the cupbearer, he was not forgotten by the living God. And because God was with Joseph, Joseph blessed other people. God was able to use him to bless the warder and the cupbearer. And from this, we also draw strength. Because we know that when we were in our tough place and we looked at Christ, God is with us. He will not abandon us. He will not forget us. And not only that, we don't have to have our act together before God can use us to bless other people. Even in our struggles, God can use us in wonderful ways, in mighty ways, in quite subtle ways, in big obvious ways. God can use us even when our circumstances are grim. And not only that, we've seen the echo of Christ in this story. For as the cupbearer was forgiven and restored before Pharaoh, so as we look to Christ, we can be restored and forgiven before the King of Kings. And like the thief on the cross who looked to Jesus, not only can we be restored and forgiven, but we can walk with Christ in paradise as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus Christ, come.